0: Welcome to Podmias, examining the crisis of American politics from a socialist perspective. As we, as we we then, nailed it, as we transition towards a podcast-based economy, um, I'm John Miles, here with uh, David Mizuki, senior Florida correspondent. Hello, all. You keeping safe from uh, coronavirus, David?
1: I have not changed my practices uh, since COVID started, and yeah, I mean they're they're fairly stringent. Uh, I mean stringent. I, I wear a mask everywhere in public. You know, sometimes I go out early in the morning to fetch a coffee, and there's like no one in the street yet, so. Mm. I'll have my mask off. And when I see someone turn a corner, I put it on, you know.
0: So you're going out in the morning. If there's no one around, you're like, fuck it, mask off. Yeah, mask off. And then you see someone you're like, okay, fuck it, mask on. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, it's, yeah, I like that. The Probably the best part of uh, walking around in public is when I have my mask on and I walk by someone who doesn't and just giving him just the meanest, stink eye i possibly can just Mm. stare daggers straight into their horrible uncaring
0: as they think to themselves how much of an arrogant liberal you are for um uh yeah
1: right exactly i'm thinking i'm having some kind of effect like that this is maybe provoking some kind of uh inner searching or shame but no if you're already walking around uh, you know, not really giving a fuck, then that's that.
0: One day we will be free of this uh, liberal tyranny of face masks and enforced social distance. Um, for my part, I've been hunkered down uh, inside reading leftist theory, uh, reading Drudge Report, as is my yeah, want lately. It's basically what I what I would be doing anyway.
1: At least one of us is wisening up a bit.
0: Speaking of uh, quality journalism... Uh, you just written this uh, article. Tell us about this um, this article you just published.
1: So I write for this um, Italian American uh, news blog called La Voce di New York, and uh, it's uh, it's great. Uh, I really. I think the outlet's pretty cool it's it's rather niche, given that you know Italian isn't exactly like a diaspora language like uh mm. like uh Spanish or French where you could have like people from a bunch of different countries reading it. It's probably you know Italians in Italy, Italians abroad, Italians in the states, and anyone who's interested in reading articles catered to Italian also written in English uh
0: there are a lot so. of Italian you know issues really to to be talked about uh I wouldn't know about him, but I'm I'm not, you know, I don't go to the meetings.
1: So I I, my most recent article uh, is about a Trump supporter who has a Trump shop in Fort Myers. And I found her on my search for a swing voter. Basically, I found out that Lee County, which is sort of across the states on the Gulf side, um, is had certain demographic characteristics that made me think that it might be a good spot to find one. Uh, a Lee County, it's not really known as Lee County. The, the, the two towns that are in Lee County are Cape Coral and Fort Myers. Okay. And, uh, and, and so those are the places that I went to. And I hadn't been doing this yet. But I just sort of straight up asked people when I met them, you know, like, are, have you changed your vote since 2016? Like Trump to, Trump to Biden or Hillary to Trump? And because I, I just was hoping to find people like that straight up. And now I was just asking people if they had and if they said no, which was always the case. I was like, well, do you know anyone? Do you know anyone that I could talk to who has changed their vote? And um, I found an old couple who uh, were Trump voters and knew a person who was a Hillary to Trump voter. So these people pointed me in the direction of this person, this woman who had opened a Trump shop at a strip mall in town at Fort Myers Beach. And uh, we actually have a link to that article on our Facebook page, right? Mm, Yes. Yeah, awesome. And so, no, I, I would just recommend it. Uh, I mean, you're. Pr- I'm probably gonna like say everything about the article here, but I would recommend uh, getting a look at it just for the pictures, just so you can you know see her shop and let's see get her, in some clicks
0: um, for uh, David. Get some traffic to that article.
1: Yeah, please. I'm. I'm not sure how much it's how much traffic goes to La Voce di New York otherwise. You know. So yeah, <laughs> it would be very helpful. Um. Anyway. Uh, Yeah, so I got to talking to her. Uh, She was expecting me because the people I'd spoken to at the polls who recommended I go see her, actually, their daughter is a friend of hers and actually helps out with the shop. She uh, helps her print out uh, bumper stickers and stuff like that. And, you know, her shop is – it's a shop. It's covered – you know, all the walls are pretty much every inch is covered with stuff you can buy. The tables are all covered with all these, you know, stickers and stuff you can buy, and uh, she has a nice – she a nice personality, you know, she had this like nice sort of positive attitude. Um, you know, she was someone who actually worked in concessions for outdoor events. She had, you know, concessions trucks that she was selling like, um, uh, like cinnamon buns and elephant ears and stuff at events like the Florida State Fair. And, you know, in COVID times, all of those events that she relied on just, you know, dried up and she was put in a pretty tough position you know she's not rich she can't hang around for however long this is going to last and just pick up where she left off and so she she said she prayed and then this idea came to her and she started selling uh trump stuff on the side of the road uh and at gas stations and stuff like that and she trump actually, stuff uh, and
0: uh, and fuck trump stuff as she put it
1: yes yes that is uh, how she put it where she said that yeah biden stuff doesn't sell it has to be <laughs> trump or fuck trump and i had to say like i couldn't agree with anyone more like i've never yeah. heard a truer thing in your life um Uh, regarding this election that it's either trump or fuck trump like biden is is as much of a placeholder as any candidate ever has been
0: i have an afterthought Uh,
1: yeah um and so anyway uh she yeah and so i asked her how this change this political change came about because interestingly enough it came about after she had this idea for the store and everything and what it emerged from was a uh, really serious rift with her family she uh got onto a zoom call with them that she thought was just sort of a routine kind of you know everyone getting on the call and checking in on each other and she noticed that there were way more relatives than usual on this call and she told me she she was like wow uh you know, what's going on? Who's on drugs? Like she thought she thought it was an intervention (laughs) and it turned out as an intervention for her because her family, she singled out her sister in particular and, and some cousins, uh, were were saying that she was selling antichrist stuff. And, uh, I, you know, I agree with that characterization. I (laughs) didn't obviously tell, uh, this person that I was speaking to this owner of the Trump shop that, but, um, You know, honestly, if it had been my sister, I mean, this is a reality that would never exist in my family, but I don't know if I would stop them. You know, I I don't know if I would, um, you know, times are tough and you got to make ends meet. I think, uh, you know, selling Trump tchotchkes is kind of low on the on the, despicable, on the list of despicable things you can do to earn your keep, you know?
0: She moved from selling Trump and fuck Trump merchandise to uh, really just being a uh, Trump true believer, it sounds like.
1: Yes, that's what happened. After this, she says that this call was really a, a crossing of the Rubicon for her, that, you know, uh, she... Uh, that was when she decided that her family was was brainwashed kind of, and that, you know, they had been, they had been taken in by, by socialists ideas. She said, that's socialism. Mm. You're trying to tell me what I can and can't sell That's socialism. Mm. And, mm. um, I wouldn't say that's socialism, but you know, I, it is certainly against a, a certain kind of a capitalistic ethos that she has lived by and that she thought that her family was living by. And, um, so that was, I, it, we didn't really get into the details of it, but I'm assuming that is when, uh, you know, the fuck Trump merchandise uh, came off the shelves. Oh, and also about her store. She was selling stuff on the side of the road and at gas stations and, you know, the cops kept getting called on her. You know, uh, people were, were calling for code violations. You know, you need permits for this kind of stuff or whatever, and she ended up trying to jump through the hoops and get the proper licenses and stuff and uh, sickened the
0: cops. lib uh socialist secret police on her
1: yeah yeah i she, she says the liberals called them the liberals called them and i asked her, like "Oh, do you do you actually know who called specifically and she said no she doesn't but like you know come on it's the liberals you know um and so i mean i i appreciated this kind of tenacity about her you know her her main gig gets fucked over by covid okay she comes up with something else oh no these fucking people call call the cops for code violations on her five times she you know gathers her resources to get a brick and mortar store i'm like i i I appreciate this in her and i'm like good for you you know like you you're 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 doing the thing and you're and you're and you're overcoming some obstacles that would definitely turn other people away you know and well well, she's
0: telling you about her political transformation um yeah i think i think this is what we call the zeal of the convert uh she's getting involved in these kind of pro-Trump groups online and uh, these kind of conservative groups. And she is I mean she's made a lot of interesting um, she's made a lot of interesting observations here. For instance, you've got these three red lines in the you know, Biden Harris logo. Now, most people might look at that and say, that's clearly, that's just like a reference to the American flag, these red stripes. stripes. We have
1: red and white stripes on our flag for fuck's sake.
0: Yeah, but there's clearly something and I didn't, you know, I wouldn't have picked up on this, but there's clearly something much more sinister there.
1: Yes, Uh, she saw those three red stripes, the uh, what's known as the, and she um, took out her phone and she was like, you know, someone came in here yesterday and showed me this and I just couldn't believe it. And she handed me her phone and she had opened there a, a Wikipedia page for the three red banners, uh, which apparently, I didn't know this, is a Maoist ideological slogan from the 50s that uh, the Communist Party was using to promote uh their policies it was like three specific policies you can just google uh three red banners Maoist China and you know it'll Mm. show you uh one like for example like the Great Leap Forward was one of the banners three red banners it's sort of like pillars kind of you know the three main things these are the three things three red banners right and so she she handed it to me she was like read that and I like read it out loud and then I looked at her and she was looking at me like isn't that fucking like with her eyes kind of wide, like fucking crazy. Right. Like, like, mm. you know, like, like we're in cahoots on this. And um, I, uh, you know, I just gave it back to her. Like, yeah, that's, I, I, I forget how I worded it exactly, but you know, I just sort of, Stay, yeah, that's crazy. I tried to crazy. stay as neutral and inscrutable as possible, you know, and was just I like, mean, oh, wow, that's something. Like you
0: know, th- Those of us who are more, you know, kind of uh, traditional Leninists and, and anti-revisionists, uh, you know, it is, it's, you know, you hate to see it, Kamala Harris bringing this, you know, Maoist politics into the Democratic Party, uh, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, And she
1: basically so yeah, so her family kind of betrayed her as she puts it, you know, or you know, they did they disowned her, she's dead to them. And she as part of her leaving them then leaving her, she decided that she also had to cut herself off from conventional media that she thought had been brainwashing her family and most people as she puts it. And so she says she, she cut herself off from social media, cut herself off from cable news, and everything, and just created a, a fake social media account. So she basically like deliberately, it's not like she was watching TV news, interacting with people, and was sort of slowly coaxed into these kinds of views through her exposure to social media, which is kind of the impression I had of people who are, who are deep into like, you know, uh, uh, right wing conspiracies that are being thrown around on Facebook and stuff. She, she, the way she put it, this was like a deliberate choice. Like these people are wrong. I've just been given proof of that. And I'm going to, I'm going to very deliberately. dive run to this other direction to just, she's just so media literate. I mean, uh, she's just, I don't want to say anything mean, but like, you know, this stuff is fucking crazy. Right. And she <laughs> just eats it all up.
0: Yeah. Basically.
1: Um, Right. Um, And and it's a shame.
0: It's really a shame. Well, yeah. But, you know, you've got Facebook trying to prevent the truth from getting out. You know, they started banning these groups and these these QAnon groups and, uh, you know, trying to keep the people from uh, from really knowing the truth. And but she's not her. She's on top of things. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a really I mean, to a certain extent. You know uh th- there's a certain kind of internal satisfaction and almost sense of power you get from embracing a subaltern narrative right yeah. and we have our subaltern narratives that are not mainstream that you know obviously like, I don't even want to, I don't even want to pretend that there's any merit to the kinds of crazy shit that, that, that she uh, is into that, that, um, that, that puts it on par with us or anything. But I feel like the feeling she gets from this stuff that is total BS is maybe the same kind of feeling we get. Like we were talking about Bolivia and the New York Times, right? And mm-hmm. how they're this huge major newspaper and they just get it totally wrong. And we have... Uh, access to knowledge and media that promotes what we know is actually what's going on. And they're engaging with stuff that is kind of a junk food version of that, that is mm-hmm. totally false, that does nothing but um, feed these worst inclinations of of d- always being right and and paranoia against the left. I mean, she literally talked about leftists if they lose this election or or you know if the the election is contested or 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 maybe it was even if they win there you know the leftists in america she said she saw this on the blaze she says she saw a manifesto there that reads like hitler and that they want to put capitalists up against the wall she knows
0: about our manifesto man
1: i mean i mean seriously this stuff is uh It's crazy. And it's kind of it's that caginess that it it almost reminded me of what more powerful people engage in too, like, you know, Richard Nixon breaking into the Democratic Party offices because he thought that they were doing the same kind of stuff to him. Right. It's this cagey Mm. paranoia. These people are armed to the teeth and always talking about, you know, uh, getting into violent confrontation over the results of this election. And. They're in their own echo chamber, telling themselves, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, that's what the left is going to do, and you have to be ready for that." But well, you, like you have to have you have to have some
0: somebody. kind of um, you know internal belief system that kind of justifies this stuff. You have to convince yourself that there is an enemy out there that is it's Antifa, right? That like at any moment they're going to parade down the street and murder all of the white Christian small business owners. Um, that's you have to convince yourself that you know there is some threat that you're you're standing against but i, I think you're onto something with this the thrill of kind of seeking the subaltern identity i think that's yeah I mean, I think that I, there's could, a
1: coolness to being an outsider that and... could
0: describe a lot of politics in america i think it's totally um, you know in america you have the power to do you know in, in a lot of circumstances you have the power to do anything except better your own kind of material situation but you can you can seek whatever identity you want to seek and you can get your fulfillment from this identity and and from kind of having this outsider status and uh you know i think it's a, it's a phenomenon on the left sometimes too you know whether it's necessarily the helpful thing to do in the moment to you know throw a, a brick through this starbucks window i made mean, it makes you feel cool um but
1: exactly Before we move off it, I just want to add also that, you know, the the article ends with her embracing a religious perspective on Trump. And she called him anointed, which I remember that word very specifically from the evangelical rally I went to uh, in, uh, I I forget exactly what it was. I think it was um, Southwest Ranches, uh, Mm -hmm. northwest of Miami, it's an area called Southwest Ranches, and I went to this mega church rally that Eric Trump attended. I have an article too about that, by the way, on my di new york. Uh, and uh, I didn't mention it in that article, but people definitely use this word about Trump being anointed, and that's like that, that that's a lingo for them. Trump being anointed by mm. God is is yeah. a serious part of the of the deep right wing, um, and yeah, I, I was very troublesome because she did mention earlier about you know praying and uh getting the idea for selling this stuff from god and you know i think a lot of people outside of 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 the kinds of circles that we run in in this country feel that way about inspiration and everything but to to hear her talk about trump not just as a good politician and someone she likes but as actually anointed in some kind of religious way really bummed me out really disappointed me
0: yeah, I mean, is it's uh, you know, as has been said, so much uh, of everything in our society is cope, essentially. You know, if things aren't going well for you, um, things have kind of hit the skids. You know, you gotta convince yourself that well, God has intervened in your life, and hence the the Trump store. Or I don't want to be too mean to this person, but but yeah, it's it's <laughs> you. I, um, you know, it's, it's people find some sense of purpose in their life and some sense of meaning for why, you know, maybe things haven't gone completely right. And and this kind of um, this religious sense and, and you know, the sense is that Trump is anointed kind of fills that hole. But it's it kind of brings up uh, this kind of brings us to our next uh, topic here is. And you said that uh, the people who directed you to this person, they thought the choice issue had kind of um helped turn her to this kind of right wing perspective. But I mean, that's something that is obviously in the news now. Um, We've got this uh, Amy Coney Barrett, who has just recently uh, is now going to be on the Supreme Court, the now heavily conservative Supreme Court. And um, this is a watershed moment for the uh, Christian evangelical right in our country for who uh, choice is the number one issue for who abortion is is the number one issue above all else um she has been confirmed to the supreme court now um this really just kind of i think there is a lot to be learned here you've got this evangelical christian right that really is able to punch above their weight um you know, you don't have a, a majority of people in the United States who believe that abortion should be banned, although these people are. I mean, it is becoming kind of frighteningly more common. These these people have continued to make their case. and um, But this segment really is able to punch above their weight. They're a minority, and yet they're a very loud minority. They think of themselves as the silent majority. I don't think they're a majority, but they are able to, through their persistence and, and <laughs> through the noise that they create, are able to uh, have a lot of influence in our politics.
1: I wouldn't discount the effect of, uh, there's the there, there's the Christian right that is very happy to see Amy Coney Barrett there and everything, but you look at the forces that specifically, uh, that specifically are responsible for the placement of these judges, these, uh, mm-hmm these organizations like the Legal Action Network, the uh, Federalist Society, which has been, you know, used to be considered a shadowy group. And then all of a sudden, Republicans just started talking about it publicly, like, Oh, we're just gonna, we're just gonna look at the list that the Federalist Society puts up, pick someone from there. And yeah, the fact is that those organizations are, um, are not funded by religious organizations, they are funded by the Koch brothers. And I'm not Even just and it's the Koch brothers and others like them, but also very specifically the Koch brothers. Period. I mean, the amount of money that the Koch brothers put in to each of these organizations—we're talking about tens of millions in each of them—because they they have these sorts of uh, like shell game, cum matryoshka doll organizations that are like uh, all like money coming from all these different organizations with different names with uh, where you don't know where, where the money is coming from them. And it turns out whenever investigative journalists look into it, so much of it goes right back to the Koch brothers and other net individuals, but very specifically them. And I mean, it's like, you know, when PBS a few years ago, maybe it's more like five, six years ago, they wanted to do a, a documentary about money in politics and they went to a political convention what in trying to make a documentary about money in politics it turned out they realized this isn't a documentary about money and politics. this is a documentary about the Koch brothers like it's it, it is them more than anyone yeah and that is very much reflected in this supreme court push uh with these with, with the kinds of candidates that that they put forward through uh, the Federalist Society and uh, other organizations, and the kinds of and the kinds of suits that their organizations bring—that you know are basically lawyers out in search of plaintiffs of certain kinds—that then try to get those cases in front of judges, where sometimes they even ask to lose so that they can appeal and go to a higher court and have a more broad ranging uh you know effect uh well it's, you see that, that happens all the
0: time you've got chevron who is uh bringing the scientists to court uh over this uh, just this issue of chevron just absolutely trashing the environment in ecuador and and chevron able to get it before a sympathetic judge you know the strategy has really borne fruit uh getting these pro-corporate right-wing judges uh in places of influence and it's yeah, you're right. It's the Koch brothers and, you know, a few prominent people, Sheldon Adelson, but um, the yeah, Koch brothers who, all- who really just represent the uh, just the right wing fringe in this country. I mean, they they ran on the libertarian ticket for president once on a platform of uh, getting rid of Social Security, getting rid of Medicare, um, getting rid of, of basically just about any government program that redistributes wealth.
1: I mean, these are people who are the sons of an oil baron who made his fortune selling oil technology to the Ruskies, okay? They're yeah. Like, well, like, and like, to the Koki Nazis, elder. too,
0: if I'm not mistaken. They, like, played both sides. The Bush family did much the same thing.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. They, they, These are the kinds of uh, of characters who there. there's no... Like, I think there's a lot of people, especially people with these kinds of resources where at some point you have the amount of resources to fight it where it's just a matter of you organizing it in the right way. And it's like, you yeah. know, they're, 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 living out that, that, you know, Ayn Rand fantasy of who's going to stop me. And yeah. And, and I think there's like a certain rush to them personally of, of bending institutions that represent millions of people that represent whole countries. I think, and on some libidinal level that they literally get off
0: on it. It's yeah, Honestly. perhaps. I mean, it's um, you know, it, it might not be. That's so the easy only to get way off. I can,
1: That's the only it, way I can attempt to understand it. It might yeah.
0: not be so easy to get off on anything when you're Sheldon Adelson and, and you're that old. But people, so, so
1: this So this is what does it for them,
0: right? <laughs> these these people, they they you know, they bend the law to their will, and you know, also just often ignore it in the short term until they're able to bend it to their will. I mean, you saw that with Uber moving into every city and just you know ignoring in New York and everywhere else all of the legislation that was put in place to uh, regulate this kind of thing and to protect the taxi taxi industry, yeah, and to protect protect people's livelihoods in the taxi industry. Um, Yeah, but it's we're going to talk about. um, Yeah, so
1: we're up to Uber. I bet you. I bet you. What's next for Uber is that they're going to come after the whole driving licensing. Uh, To begin with, we're going to have fucking like six year old Uber drivers.
0: I mean, it's it's I read somewhere the the average amount of time someone is a driver for Uber is one year because that's exactly how long it takes to realize that you're basically getting fucked in terms of taxes as a independent contractor with Uber. Of course, it's it's a bad deal. Uh, It's a good deal for Uber. It's your
1: fucking it's your car. It's your wear and tear. It's your gas. It's your insurance. It's your fucking everything. and they and they they pay fucking pennies yeah and they they
0: they take none of the risk and uh you know it's it's socializing the risks and um you know taking the gain for themselves but we were going to talk about how did we get here um you know with this heavily right-wing supreme court and the right-wing just bending uh, the law and all other institutions to their will and it's I mean, I guess it depends on how far back you want to go. Uh, Yeah, you serve this
1: one up. I want want to to hear uh, your opinion.
0: Well, well, it depends on how far back you want to go. I mean, the Republicans have been the party of big business for a long time. The Civil War was when our two-party system was kind of uh, locked into place, and the Republicans were the party of the North in the Civil War, which was where most of the industry was based. And so over time, they have really just become more and more the party of they were the party of northern industry, and they've become just the party of industry and big business. And of course, the Democrats are also the party of big business. It's just different sectors of big business yeah, most do- of the time. It's you know, it's Hollywood, and it's uh, sometimes the telecom industry and uh, certain do other sectors. Know, of big business. Do you want
1: to know what was what was the only what was one of the only uh, major cities that that had a vocal um, opposition to the Civil War to fighting the
0: Confederacy? Was that?
1: New York, baby! Really? Of course, yeah. Where do you think all the freaking slave owners stashed their money? We had the banks. We had their money. We liked it. We wanted to keep it going.
0: Yeah. Well, the Republican Party did very quickly become, uh, you know, they were the party of Reconstruction uh, very briefly, but then they just became the party of big business. And, you know, at some point, it wasn't good for business to carry on with Reconstruction. You know, it was better for business to just let things slide with the South. And, uh, and, you know, for decades we were set back because racism was really just, uh, you know, the racism of, of Jim Crow really was locked into place and it was several decades before we would begin to climb out of that. Um, but yeah, you tell why, why, how did we get here from your point of view?
1: Whew, yeah, I mean, you, you went way back. I mean, I kind of, when we were talking about what to do for this show, I kind of stressed that I wanted to talk about, let's talk about the origins. And I mm. didn't necessarily, I didn't go as far back as the Civil War. Uh, but maybe I should, yeah, you kind of, you totally one up me there. <laughs> really no, I mean, one up me. Um, it's a long
0: story. So,
1: yeah, exactly. It's a long story.
0: It's uh, it's a question of money and material resources. And, you know, as the Democratic Party has moved to the center or to the right, let's say economically, uh, union leadership and, and union engagement has just crumbled in this country. And that is you know, where the Democratic Party used to uh, be funded was from unions. I mean now it's all of these regulations and attempts to regulate money and politics have gone by the wayside. Even if the union movement were still strong, it would just be you just got a tidal wave of corporate cash flowing in now. And I think this has mirrored, you know, the, the base of the Democratic Party is essentially has moved away from unions and the working class and it's moved towards the academy. You know, as the Democrats have moved to the center economically, they've remained on the left in terms of social issues. And, you know, people like you and me who went to college, we tend to agree with uh, the progressive take on all of these social issues. But um the base of the democratic party is in the academy it's in educated people and i think it's for that reason that that's the kind of case that we make to people it is an educated kind of logical case we don't make an emotional appeal to people which i think is is you know i think when the left you know broadly defined uh has succeeded in the past it's been because they've made that emotional case it was this moral case We had to elect Obama to uh, right the historical wrongs of racism in our country. We elected LBJ because he made a moral case about eliminating poverty and and FDR made a moral case. It's, you know, Democratic Party doesn't do this anymore. It's these, you know, Vox.com explainers and this uh, kind of, uh, you know, this logical, empirical, um, you know, kind of... uh, You know logos type argumentation you see
1: you see that from the you see that from the likes of progressives which is promising and we need that kind of conversation that kind of discussion to be expanded i'm reminded of uh of aoc when she was she made this great very simple accessible argument about you know the problem with private health insurance and how you know when it comes to your health you know you're willing to pay anything to save your life and so that's not right it's not right to put people in a position where, they, where, where they're willing to give up absolutely anything because you're holding their life in the balance. That That is a very accessible and, you know, an ethos argument, as you put it. And But, you know, if you're taking money from health insurance companies, of course you can't make it, and you have to right. prevaricate on all kinds of uh, bullshit half measures instead.
0: The genuine left in the Democratic Party, you know, to the extent that it exists, is starting to make these arguments, and that is, you know... That's as like, as, as socialists, you know, it comes back to a materialist analysis. It comes back to a question of where's the money, where's the resources, where's the material power. And that's with the right. Um, And, and that's, that's why the, that's why the conservative right has succeeded. Um, If we're going to combat that, first of all, we need a broad emotional appeal that's going to win support. And that is, you know, it's, it's socialism. Uh, you know, if we're going to have any chance at all of beating back the right, it's because we're going to make the socialist case. And we're going to make this broad appealing case to people that we want to make your lives better. We want to make everyone's lives better. And and in this, this, all this suffering um, that we're seeing in this country, and um, we're going to get there I- by making that broad case. And we're going to get there by fundamentally taking on this entrenched corporate power, because we can talk about any, you know, kind of, uh you know plan of attack we can talk about you know any fix to the way things are we can talk about campaign finance we can talk about ending the two-party system you can talk about whatever you want until we take on this entrenched corporate power on the right and you know and 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 really breaking up that power and breaking up this concentrated ownership of our economy Uh, we're never going to get there. The right is always going to, um, to find their way to undermine any kind of fix that we propose.
1: I'm totally with you on fighting broad corporate power, uh, like corporate concentration of power and these like just big piles of money controlled by just a couple of individuals. But um, I, I would say that even after such a victory, everything is reversible.
0: I think that's true. It's, you know, it's going to take a lot of work, but ultimately our, our North Star, what we're aiming for, needs to be. And this was kind of my insight that, you know, I would really say led me from becoming a liberal or progressive to a socialist, which is to say, you can talk about reforms. You can talk about all the things that FDR did, with New Deal to reform the system. Uh, ultimately, it's like you know, rolling a boulder up a hill. Unless you fundamentally attack that concentration of power and wealth, and you know, the ownership of the economy, through, which is, you know, which which is how um, the corporate class and the right wing really just maintains its control over the country. Until you do that, um, no reform is going to be permanent. I think you're right. You're always going to be. It's always a battle to some extent, but that's fundamentally why social democracy why new deal democracy why the welfare state didn't ultimately succeed and why it was undermined because we didn't take away the power of the corporate class and they were able to organize through things like the federalist society through things like ronald reagan's presidency and you know overturn much of the progress we've made
1: basically you have to make sure people don't fall asleep uh and and uh you know, continue their efforts. And I think the, the sort of, that, that's what I mean in terms of like, it's just constant, you know, like you you have to, you know, like the, the, these kinds of, I, I think the kinds of gains you're talking about can be made and and lost again they can totally be lost again. You can have stuff that gets uh, ostensibly put under public control, but the people who are actually at the helm just gradually over time, if the public is asleep, just kind of put things into their own hands.
0: Yeah, I think we need a genuinely, we need a a genuinely participatory society. And I think that was another fault of New Deal liberalism was that people did basically go to sleep. They thought, oh, we have these unions who fight for our interests. We have these... um, government institutions and, uh, you know, they'll just do all the work and, you know, people went to sleep. I mean, it's when Margaret Thatcher, uh, you know, kicked off neoliberalism in, in the UK, it, of course, it was kicked off in Chile, too. But, um, you know, what was the thing that Margaret Thatcher famously said? There is no alternative. And in a sense, she was right within the, the confines of welfare capitalism, if, it, if we really weren't going to make the jump to socialism. You look at the late '70s. You had this uh, economic stagnation and inflation, and you know, big business was really facing a crisis of profitability. Uh, unionization was really cutting into their profitability, and it was um, it, it was a difficult economic situation for private business. And so, what needed to happen at that time was well, we needed to start to uh, take another look at this system of private business. We you know we need to make a revolutionary case for socialism. The Democrats and and the, the center left progressives at the time weren't making that revolutionary case. And so it was the right that made the revolutionary case. And we fell back into uh, laissez-faire capitalism and neoliberalism. So until we move to a real kind of socialism and, you know, we really attack the power of the corporate class at its roots, then... Um, you know and that's a lesson that we need to learn you know Bernie talks about this kind of new deal liberalism and, and moving back to a new deal ethos and sense of things but you know unless we look at why the new deal failed and why social democratic welfare capitalism failed you know it's just going to fail again and you know we need to look at why it failed we need to overcome that and we need to move towards socialism uh, that's my rant nice
1: you no, know, if I had just one more thing to add, that's I'm sorry, just it's, it's not what we were just talking about, but is uh, you know, it's part of what we we're talking about before with the Supreme Court. I've heard I've heard a lot of talk about uh, packing the court. I wanna hear about impeaching Kavanaugh, period. He mm. just gave an embarrassing uh, you know, opinion in this case with the Wisconsin votes where they're not going to count votes that have been legally received by the states he talks about the specter of voter fraud and uh you know and and ballots coming in late um like interfering with results when they're actually just part of the results and you should wait to get every fucking ballot before you like it it, the whole thing is absurd.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure that's, you know that's that's more of what will be to come from this Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, impeach impeach everyone nominated the court by Bush too, and you know as a result of that stolen election in 2000. Oh yeah, but. by
1: the yeah by the way, yeah, Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Kavanaugh both were on the Bush legal team to uh, you know help his uh, campaign in Florida and you know push for things like counting military ballots that had no postmark on them.
0: Wonderful, um, yeah, it's, and there's a debate be had now around the Supreme Court, you know, in terms of short-term fixes, you know, taking a look at these institutions that are anti-democratic in a, in a sense, uh, in the Supreme, Supreme Court is debatable, but you've got things like the Electoral College. You've got things like the Senate, which serve as kind of a check on the kind of deeper democracy of the House. You know, these are the kind of short-term reforms that can make a difference as the reforms of the progressive era did. But um, yeah. All right. See you, man.
1: Yeah, see you, John.